Acts chapter 4, beginning at verse 23. Let's read the word of the Lord together. When they had been released, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard this, they lifted their voices to God with one accord and said, O Lord, it is you who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the Holy Spirit, through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said, Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples devise futile things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your purpose predestined to occur. And now, Lord, take note of their threats and grant that your bondservants may speak your word with all confidence while you extend your hand to heal and signs and wonders take place through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. Now, Lord, thank you for your word, which is living and active. And I ask that this word now will speak to our hearts today. I ask that you will help us to hear what the Spirit will say in the midst of the preaching. And that you will work in our hearts in such a way that no one will leave here the same way they came. I lift up other life-giving churches and I pray blessing upon them. And I lift up our loved ones not yet walking in right relationship with you. I pray especially for sons and daughters who have wandered from the faith. I ask you to draw them to a place of repentance that not one of them will be lost. Thank you for hearing our prayer. Thank you for your touch today. So we pray all of these things in the only name that matters, the matchless name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. By definition, an adversity is a condition of suffering, destitution, or affliction. An adversity is a calamitous or disastrous experience. There are a number of things that can be described as an adversity. A prolonged physical illness can be an adversity. The sudden, unexpected death of a loved one is an example of an adversity. A business reversal can be an adversity. A divorce can accurately be called an adversity. A season of caring for an incapacitated parent would be an adversity. Failure to accomplish a hard-worked-for goal or a long-cherished dream could be an adversity. 
My experience and my observation let me know that life is filled with adversity. Don't ever let some short-sighted, shallow-thinking person try to convince you adversity isn't common to the human experience. Don't ever let some misguided, uninformed simpleton try to convince you that just because you are a follower of Jesus, you will never have any more adversity. That is not the example of history, nor the witness of personal experience, nor is it the testimony of God's Word. That's what we find in Psalm 34 and 19. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. That's what is written by the Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. And indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. You just as well settle it in your mind once and for all, you are going to have adversity. If you aren't experiencing it right now, you've probably just come through it. If you haven't just come through it and you're not in it right now, well, just hold on, fasten your seatbelt and get ready. It's right around the corner. The problem isn't that we have adversity. The problem comes in how we respond to it. It isn't a question of whether you are going to, at some point, find yourself in the midst of adversity. The question is, what are you going to do when you get there? Let's answer that question by looking at the story that forms the text for the message today. As Acts chapter 4 opens, Peter and John are enjoying the blessing of God who has just miraculously healed the lame man in the previous chapter that I preached about last Sunday. That miracle of healing became the message for another message Peter was able to preach in which he challenged the people to believe in Jesus as the only hope of salvation. While he is preaching in the temple, some of the religious leaders come upon the scene. You would think of all people, the high priest and the temple authorities would be excited to see the lame man walking and leaping and praising God. You would think they would be excited about the miracle dimension of God's kingdom life being manifested in their midst. <laughs> Instead of being delighted, however, they are disturbed, highly disturbed. They can't deny a miracle has occurred, but they are determined to do everything in their power to see it doesn't happen again. In their anger, they haul Peter and John before the Sanhedrin, the very same council that just a few weeks earlier had tried and condemned Jesus. Then they commanded these guys not to teach or speak at all in the name of Jesus, and they threatened them with great harm if they should continue. Finally, Peter and John are released and allowed to exit the council hall. Now, if you are Peter and John, you are right in the middle of an adversity, a calamitous or disastrous experience. Here they were just trying to do what God told them to do. You would think everybody would be happy God was confirming his word with signs and wonders and miracles. You would think everybody would be praising their obedience and their powerful anointing. You would think everybody would want this experience to be repeated many times over until all the lame in the city were healed. But instead of accolades, they get threats. Instead of applause, they get persecution. This is adversity of the highest order. When you examine how Peter and John respond to this adversity, 
you are able to find some principles to follow in dealing with the adversity you may be experiencing in your own life. From this story, I want to highlight five principles, five principles that will become a plan of action for you to follow when you find yourself in the midst of an adversity. Five principles that will not only help you get through the adversity, but they will help you get through with victory. I want to know, is anybody interested in not just surviving, but being victorious as well? All right, I'm preaching to the right crowd today then. Here we go. Principle number one, assemble your support. Verse 23 records, when they had been released, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. One thing you need to remember is that you are not designed nor equipped to live life in a vacuum or to function like the Lone Ranger. One of the main tactics our spiritual enemy uses against us is isolation. See, if he can get us off by ourselves, all alone, separated from the group, then he has a much easier time of taking us down. In almost 40 years of serving as a lead pastor, I've observed that one of the first things church people do when adversity comes is they get wrapped up in themselves. They get so discouraged, so disheartened, and as a result, they start isolating themselves. They, start, they stop communicating with their friends and their brothers and their sisters in Christ. They start missing church, staying away from the fellowship of believers. And when you do that, I'm telling you, you're a sitting target for the enemy. When adversity comes, one of the first things you need to do is assemble your support. Call together those who love you, those who care for you, those you know will pray for you. Let them know what's going on. Don't expect them to be mind readers. Don't expect them to somehow intuitively know the stress you're under and the problem you're facing. You know, we want to say, oh, well, I just don't want to bother anybody. Hogwash. That's a good Greek term right there. There is multiplied power that gets activated when two or three come together and agree as touching one thing in the name of the Lord. Heaven sits up and pays attention when there is unity of faith. You may get discouraged and be ready to throw in the towel when you're all by yourself, but your brother or your sister will support and will encourage you and help you keep going. Your hands will fall wearily to your side when you're all alone, but your brother and your sister will hold them up and they'll not let you go under. What, 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 do, do this with me real quick, would you? Take a moment and just look around you right now. Just look, look around at all the people that are here. You see these people sitting here today? You need every one of them, and they need you. We're in this thing together, I tell you. There's not one of us who can make it on our own. You're not big enough or tough enough or mean enough to handle this thing by yourself. You need me and I need you. So when adversity strikes, assemble your support. When most people look at verses 23 and 24, they focus on the prayer. The prayer is important. I'm going to talk about that in a moment. But when I look at those two verses, the word I want to emphasize is they. That's agreement. That's unity. The power was accessed not by the one, but by the group. And that's the kind of power you're going to need to make it through the adversity you're in. See, when you come together, one has faith in an area where you are uncertain. Another has knowledge where you lack. 
Another has insight where your eyes are veiled. Another has strength where you are weak. So in the midst of your adversity, don't try to make it on your own. Assemble your support. Principle number two, affirm God's sovereignty. When these disciples were faced with adversity, they lifted up their voices to God in prayer. But notice, they didn't pray the way most of us do it. They didn't go down the list recounting all the details of the adversity staying against them. They didn't complain and bellyache about the trouble they were in. Instead, they focused on the fact that the God they serve is still in control. They focused their faith on the power of the Almighty. You know, when you're in the middle of adversity, when nothing seems to be moving in the right direction and things are in a mess, one of the hardest things to do is get your eyes off the negative and onto the positive. But as long as you focus on the adversity, faith will founder. Fear will rule your heart. When you focus on the failures, the enemy will constantly be there to magnify their significance and keep you frustrated. Now, this is not to suggest you're supposed to deny the problem. Neither does it suggest you try to pass the buck and refuse to take responsibility for your own actions and your own attitudes. But in the midst of adversity, I am suggesting you can get your eyes just a little bit higher than the obstacle and see that the very thing that looks like an impossible problem could very well be the thing that can become a new possibility when God gets involved. Maybe what has happened in your past isn't all that great. Maybe you've really blown it in the past. So why don't you just leave the past in the past? You cannot undo the past, but the past does not determine your future. Your past doesn't have to handicap your future. Why don't you just take all those old negative recordings that keep playing over and over in your head and turn them in for a new set of recordings that tell you what thus says the Lord? Why don't you stop fixating on the part that is broken? Why don't you stop confessing the past failures? Why don't you stop focusing on the negatives? You need to affirm God's sovereignty. Somebody needs to affirm Psalm 21 and 7. For the king trusts in the Lord and through the loving kindness of the Most High, he will not be shaken. Somebody needs to affirm Psalm 121. I will lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to slip. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun will not smite you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will protect you from all evil. He will keep your soul. The Lord will guard your going out from your coming in from this time forth and forever. Somebody ought to affirm Isaiah 43 and 2. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched, nor will the flame burn you. Somebody needs to affirm Luke 137. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. Somebody needs to reach back in your memory banks and start affirming the little children's song we learned in Sunday school. You remember this? He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole wide world in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. 
And we had multiple verses. You remember, he's got the wind and the rain in his hands. He's got the sun and the moon in his hands. He's got the mothers and the fathers in his hands. He's got the brothers and the sisters in his hands. We even say he's got the little bitty baby in his hands. And then we finished it up with he's got everybody here in his hands. I want to tell you, it may look like evil is going to rule the day. It may look like the enemy is going to triumph. But make no mistake about it. This is still my father's world. He still sits with the heaven as his throne and the earth as his footstool. He has not surrendered his scepter of authority to another. He has not abandoned his people. And he has not forgotten his promise. He is faithful and true. He is your source. He is your provider. He is your shelter. He is your helper. You are in his hands and he is your God. And if God is for you, nothing and no one can stand against you. Why don't you affirm 2 Corinthians 2.14? But thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. Why don't you just testify to somebody around you right now? Tell them God is still in control. Come on, say it like you mean it. God is still in control. about to bless myself. (laughs) Principle number three, acknowledge your need. In verse 29, the disciples prayed, and now, Lord, take note of their threats. When you read it carefully, you discover this is the only reference to their dilemma in the entire prayer. And I want to tell you, this is the right proportion. Gaze at God... Glance at the problem. Gaze at God. Glance at the problem. Instead of spending all your time talking to God about the size of your problem, why not spend the bulk of your time talking to your problem about the size of your God? I'm trying to help you get through your adversity. Acknowledge your need, but don't make your need your primary focus. You know, Jesus gave the solution in the Sermon on the Mount in the Gospel of Matthew when he said, take no thought. In other words, don't worry about what you're going to eat or what you're going to wear or where you're going to live. Don't get bogged down by the past. Don't become fretful over the future. You remember what he said? Every day has enough trouble of its own. Have you discovered that to be true? So don't borrow trouble from any other day. You just seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness. Your heavenly father knows you need all these other things. If you seek first the kingdom, then he's going to take care of the rest. Y'all doing okay? Everybody still on board? So you assemble your support. You affirm God's sovereignty. You acknowledge your need. Principle number four, activate your obedience. The disciples prayed in verse 29, and now, Lord, take note of their threats and grant that your bondservants may speak your word with all confidence. One of the hardest things to do in the midst of adversity is to keep doing the things you know are the right things to do. It's easy to get discouraged and decide another road will be more pleasant. 
It's so tempting to let down the guard and slack off in your zeal for the things of God. In the time of adversity, the supreme battle we have is the battle for obedience. I want to tell you, the only way God's plan can be thwarted is not by some evil power. It's by our disobedience. (laughs) The biggest enemy we face is not our circumstances, nor the wickedness and the injustice of this world. It's our own proclivity to disobedience. These early followers of Jesus knew something very important. They didn't pray for the persecution to cease. They didn't pray for the laws to get changed. I'm messing with somebody right there. They didn't, they didn't hold all-night prayer vigils saying, Oh, God, help the Congress to change these laws. Okay, move on, Pastor. <laughs> they didn't pray for the good times to return. You read it. They simply prayed for the courage and the boldness to remain obedient to the call of God upon their lives. I'm telling you how to respond to adversity today. When disastrous, calamitous circumstances threaten to capsize your boat, activate your obedience. Keep doing what God says to do. Don't be dissuaded. I want to tell you, you're not doing this for nothing. There is a payday coming. There is a reward waiting. Be not weary in well-doing, for in due season you shall reap if you do not faint. I feel like I'm talking to somebody right now who's on the verge of collapsing and giving in. I'm challenging, challenging your life right now by the word of the Lord. I'm speaking life and strength to you by the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Don't you give up. Don't you give in. Don't you cave under pressure. You stand strong. You keep going. You keep persevering. You keep pressing on. Your work is not in vain. You keep praying. You keep believing. You keep expecting. You keep praising. This is not the end of the story. God is not finished yet. Activate your obedience. Principle number five. Appropriate God's power. Verse 31 tells us, when they had prayed, the place where they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. Now, watch this. When you read the remainder of the story and on through the rest of the book, you find the persecution doesn't really let up. In fact, it intensifies. Now, how's that for good news on a Sunday morning? You think it's bad now? (laughs) Just wait. You hadn't seen anything. The persecution in that day becomes so strong, Stephen is martyred for his faith. The young church is so persecuted that its people have to flee Jerusalem and they're scattered. James, the leader of the church in Jerusalem, is beheaded. Peter is thrown into prison. Adversity continues. In spite of this, and in the middle of this, the word of God is proclaimed with boldness. 
signs, wonders, and miracles are performed. And those signs, wonders, and miracles become open doors for people being receptive to the proclamation of the gospel. Everywhere the believers scatter, new churches spring up. They thought they were going to crush it by scattering it. Oh, no, it just became, became scattered seed, and new churches began to spring up. The power of God is manifest, and the power continues until the present day. I'm telling you, in your weakness, his strength will be perfected. In your foolishness, his wisdom will shine. If you're wondering how to respond appropriately in the midst of adversity, here it is. You assemble your support. You affirm God's sovereignty. Acknowledge your need. Activate your obedience. And appropriate God's power. When you respond in that manner, you line yourself up in agreement with God's will and divine purpose. When you do that, nothing can stop you. I just wonder if I'm preaching to anybody who feels like you're struggling facing adversity. Anybody at all say, Pastor, I feel like I'm, yeah, I'm in the middle of stuff. I want to pray with you. I want to believe with you that God is going to manifest his power on your behalf. And he's going to bring you through victoriously. There's a lot of ways we could do this, but we've got some other stuff that we're going to take care of as part of this service. Let me do it this way. If you're one of those people who says, Pastor, I feel like I'm, I just need prayer support. I need God's help. I need God's touch in an area. I'm not going to ask you to come forward, but I am going to ask you to stand so that we can identify those people who say, I need God's touch. I need his help. And then we're going to pray for you. Yeah, people are standing all over the house. Thank you. I, need, I just need God's help here. I need his touch. Thank you, Lord. You know, I'm not preaching this just because I thought it was something that sounded exciting. I, I really believe God still does this stuff. I don't just believe it. I know it. And I'm convinced God wants to help you today. Where these people are standing, I'm, if there's someone near where, you, where they are, or if you sense a particular drawing to one of these people, I'm going to ask you to move to that person Maybe just gently put your hand on their shoulder. And I want you to pray for them that God is going to reveal his might and his help right where they need him the most. Would you do that? Would you pray one for another all over this house? This isn't about what the pastor can do. This is what God's going to do through you. is here.